when you see a testimony um, like that of Diamond D, that's his name, he mentioned a word that some of us may have thought about when we saw him. He said that people that who knew him, they thought he was going to be an embarrassment. So they said, go, go ahead, go ahead. Just without saying it, get your sex change and get out of my life. Regardless of what past you have, when you come to Jesus Christ, you are not an embarrassment, but you are our joy and our crown. Amen. Physical appearances notwithstanding, Jesus Christ makes all things new. All things. When we read the Bible and we see all, it means that the invitation of Jesus Christ, his love and his forgiveness is open to all who would come to him. All. And in, in many churches in the past, um, church degenerated into what could be called a Sunday morning prom, to where it was about who was wearing what and what songs were sung, and that is a joke. That is not church. It is new. Not it is not New Testament Christianity. It is. A bastardization of Christianity morphed into American culture. That's what that is. It is not church. When people gather in the name of Jesus, as we read last week, the, lo- the list goes long. Swindlers and adulterers and men who practice homosexuality and liars and greed and the greedy, all of that captured in a group, in a setting. And the Bible says, and such were some of you. That's church. Church is where we can say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. And if it was not for the grace of God, I would not have survived at this point. And I think that it's high time that in the American church, as far as we're concerned, that we stop looking at other people. Say, well, I feel good about myself because I've not been down that road. And we crowd and say, God, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? You see, revival, New Testament Christianity, church that's not a joke, begins when we're willing to get honest about our past. And maybe not even about the past, but about what's going on in our life right now. And the gospel through Jesus Christ, is able to change even to the uttermost. I absolutely love this testimony. There's the full 40-plus minute that you can find um, online. and uh, It was Triple X Church out in Las Vegas. They deal with a lot of people um, who were part of the sex industry. A lot of people have been involved in prostitution and everything that you can imagine. But you see, when you meet Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're white-collar, blue-collar, if you're tatted up, or if you've never even had a fake tattoo from the 25-cent machine at Walmart. Jesus makes all things new. So with those thoughts in mind, that what we're going to talk about today with the the homosexual agenda, we could call it, um, that is moving uh, in our country very strongly, 
that this is not simply an intellectual, let me find verses to support my position, even if it's biblical, but these are the lives of real people. Are we tracking with that? If you're a jerk and you like to beat people with your Bible because you know verses and you know how to study and you know Greek and you know Hebrew, you may not understand the scripture. Because love and truth are not enemies, they go together. If we truly believe what the Bible says about the lost, then we're going to be broken beyond broken. It's not that we're going to look down on them, we're going to plead with them. And we're going to make a commitment in our heart that says, if they go to hell, they'll have to jump over me. Okay, That's biblical Christianity. That's the gospel. We all right? Okay. And we're going to get uh, into some things that may be uncomfortable uh, for some of us. But let me, let me just start it out with a thought that I want to germinate in your mind. There have been many studies of the state of the American church. And what we're told is that the whole concept of cultural Christianity, and cultural Christianity is this. Not really saved, don't love Jesus. If every missionary in the world were dependent upon you, they would have starved to death and their kids a long time ago. But you come to church. Because church is where you get connections. We tracking? Right? Like I'm an upstanding member of the community. I go to Rocky Mount Baptist Church. I go to Franklin Heights. I go to wherever. Because you see, I'm a, I'm a good southern American man and a woman. You see, I believe in God. I'm not a communist. I'm not a Muslim. I go to church. I've got an American flag on the bumper sticker of my truck. And another one that says, right? American by birth, Southern by the grace of God, all of that stuff. And we've got something that's slowly dying away as the numbers of evangelical Christians seem to get smaller in comparison to the growth of the United States. That that idea of what Christianity is, that you come to look good so that you can get business connections and friends, that is going the way of the buffalo. It's dying. What's taking its place is a new we could say transform biblical Christianity in many churches. It said it's not about the dress, it's not about the music, it's the fact that all of us have a past and all of us need Jesus Christ. And we're going to gather, we're going to give, we're going to do mission trips, we're not just going to pay somebody else to do it. We're going to do everything that we can to reach out to everybody in our community and praise God for the change. And if the allegiance is to the former, you will be bothered by changes that need to be made in order to reach our culture with the gospel. So let that just germinate. That's not the best way to start a sermon, but it's a way to get our thoughts uh, going on the right path. Because here's the, the honest thing is that a lot of people who've been raised in church in the U.S. do not know the gospel, and they think that church is something entirely different than what Jesus clearly meant it to be. And Jesus says, I came to seek and save that which was lost. So if you're a longtime church member and that's not top on your priority, you're not understanding what Jesus actually established, okay? I don't say that because I'm angry. I don't say that because I don't like anybody here. I'm saying that because the, t- the statistics tell us that most churches are inwardly focused. And whenever a church becomes inwardly focused, it dies and its community goes to hell in a handbasket. And we will not let that happen here. We will not. We can't. Part of that involves talking about what we're going to talk about right now. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3, verses 
verses 17 through 21. This is where we camped out last week. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17, 17 through 21. This passage pictures our response should be the Christian, the Bible, the gospel-driven response to when we see wickedness in the world. And begins in verse 17. Read with me if you would. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. It's a powerful passage of scripture. The apostle Paul looking at the world in which he was living in sees people that are pursuing all sorts of things that go contrary to God. And the end result, the apostle Paul says, is destruction. And his, I guess we could say his response was not to stand out in front of where they gather And scream you're going to hell. But his response was to speak the truth in love. And his emotional response. His spiritual response. Was to be broken to the point of tears. So we're going to talk about some things today. And I just want to lay the groundwork. That that's our response as biblical. As biblical Christians. Some people say. In regards to homosexuality. Jeff well if God didn't want people to be homosexual, then why did he create them that way? It's very important for us as Christians to understand that the world that we see is not the world that God originally created. The world that we see is ridden, I mean, it's rife with sin, it's rife with disease, that all of us have, we could say, the damages of inherited sin. For some of us, we could drink one drop of alcohol and we could be a raging alcoholic. Some of us, we don't even know why we struggle with anger, but we do. All of us have inherited things. All of us are living in sin. We have the the sin nature that resides inside of us, so to speak. So God doesn't make people sin. We clear on that? James chapter 1 says that we can't, God can't be tempted by sin and he doesn't tempt anyone to sin. But each one is enticed When he is drawn away by his own lust and then he's ensnared. And then lust gives birth to sin. Then sin, when it is full grown, produces death. So every single one of us, regardless if we say I'm straight or whether I have homosexual tendencies or, or leanings, every single one of us has something inside of us that seems to draw us to the flame. Every single one of us. So God does not cause people to sin, but God sent his son Jesus into the world to give us deliverance from sin. Last week we talked about what the Bible actually spoke about homosexuality, homosexual acts. And we said that today we're going to deal with families and parents who are trying to raise children in an age in which... Uh, it's very normal to do what the Bible says is clearly sin. We also said we're going to talk about, okay, if I have a friend or if I have a relative who's involved in this lifestyle, how do I talk to him about that? We're going to get into it. Um, but what I wanted to do in the first part of this message is to help us be aware of what is actually going on. 
the end game for, we could say, the, the LGBT agenda, the, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transvestite, what, what, whatever it may be, that whole end game has been different than what many Christians have understood. Many Christians say, well, it's just about two people being able to fulfill whatever desires they have. We learned last week that if our response is, as long as it doesn't bother me, why should it matter? May God break our hearts. We are our brother's keeper. We do have a moral responsibility to speak out when things are going to end in destruction. But there's something that's bigger behind the agenda. The agenda, as we'll get into in in just a moment, requires us as Christians to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We've heard Jesus say that. That's in Scripture. Many times Christians were good at being harmless as doves, but we simply watch the news and believe it. We realize that every single second of what's on television is edited. Every single second. The end game for everything that went up to the Supreme Court decision was not just so that two people could fulfill their quote-unquote love for one another. The end game was always to shut down opposing voices, and I'll give you reasons for that. One of the ways that they've done this, and it's brilliant, is they've used the word marriage equality. Marriage is between one man and one woman. Definition, that's what it is. That's what it always has been. That's what God created. So when you put anything else into that equation other than one man and one woman, it's no longer marriage. It's something else. All right? And here's where Christians make mistakes. We say, well, I, I'm, I'm against marriage equality. No, you're not. You're for marriage. Are we tracking this morning? You see, there's a difference here because when you can craft the terms of the debate, you can win the debate no matter how much the evidence the other side has. There's nobody in America that would say, I'm an American and I don't believe in equal treatment for everybody. I mean, that's not the concept that our country is founded upon. But when you use the phrase marriage equality, you automatically put Christians and those who disagree with you in the corner of being someone who is unwilling to give equality. But you see, marriage is one man, one woman. Anything other is not marriage. So therefore, you can't actually have marriage equality with it being two men and two women. And I just want to, want to call it uh, like it needs to be called. It is absolutely and terribly shameful for people within that are pushing this agenda to use civil rights. That's what's happened. You guys realize that? The homosexual agenda has piggybacked on the suffering of black people who paid equal taxes but who didn't have equal access to good schools and to political representation. And they have actually compared the sodomization of two men with the sufferings of the moral heroism of black people back in the 60s. Dogs. The fire hoses. Everything. And I don't even think that that deserves a response. To compare the two. Shame on those who promote the agenda and use the suffering of black people back in the 60s to advance an agenda in which people make conscious choices to do things that are morally wrong. And that should be called out um, for, um, for the wrong that it is. 
And in the debate as well, there's a massive brain liposuction that has happened in our country. Is this too much? We okay? We are told as Christians, and even if you're not a Christian, you can be a a Jew or Muslim who says, you know what, that marriage is actually between one man and and one woman. Like that's the way that it's, it's supposed to work. We're told that we are intolerant. And here's how sin actually decays the mind's ability to actually use logic and reason. We have numerous scores of well-educated people who tell us, you are being intolerant. They are scolding us and they are saying, you're intolerant, be tolerant. And if you don't be tolerant, if you're not tolerant, then we're going to punish you economically. We're going to sue you and we're going to use the courts to try to put you out of business without looking in the mirror and seeing their own intolerance. You see, classical, you could say classical liberalism is the belief that I disagree with what you're saying, but I will die for your right to be able to say it. What we're dealing with now is that I disagree with what you're saying, and if you don't agree with me, we're going to sue the pants off of you, and then we're going to put discrimination charges against your church, your school, or your business, and you will conform. That's not tolerance. That's tyranny. Whether it comes from the judge up top or whether it comes from general culture. So here's the end game. And we'll, we'll give reasons for this. The end game has always been to shut down churches that believe and preach the gospel as well as other people in culture who oppose the politically correct version of quote-unquote marriage and the way that they are doing this already they're trying to within 48 hours of the decision uh, mark oppenheimer as we mentioned last week uh, wrote an article in which he said it's time to take away the tax-exempt status for churches that will not perform same-sex marriages and here's a writer denny burke he teaches uh, at southern seminary great man of god he says that legal gay marriage is not the end game for the gay rights movement it never was moral approval is the end game The agenda is not tolerance for different beliefs and lifestyles. The agenda is a demand that everyone get on board with the moral revolution or be punished. That means that if you or your church won't get with the programs, the revolutionaries will endeavor to shut you down. And before we deal with that, I think it would be a good point to brag on the churches who are reaching out to their communities. We're actually finding out... Uh, and this is not even Christian studies, that churches are benefiting their cultures. T.M. Lorman from the New York Times, here's what he writes. He says, one of the most striking scientific discoveries about religion in recent years is that going to church weekly is good for you. Who'd have, who'd have thought it, right? Religious attendance, at least religiously, boost, at least religiosity boosts the immune system and decreases blood pressure. Some of you are like, I go to Rocky Mountain Baptist Church and it spikes, but you know, maybe that's, that's more general, general church there. Uh, it may add as many as two or three years to your life. The reason for this is not entirely clear. Andrew Lewis reports, churches have diverse positive impacts on communities ranging from increased trust, improved mental and physical health, decreased crime, enhanced levels of volunteering, and community outreach. And I just want to brag on our students. A few weeks ago, you guys were in a rough area of Richmond, Virginia, helping uh, with the construction of, of a building that's going to target homeless people and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. I think that that's a good thing. Maybe, maybe I'm crazy, 
Maybe I'm a right winger. Maybe I'm an evangelical pastor. But I think that's pretty cool. And I also think that it's pretty awesome. We had a big pile of young adults go down to Costa Rica and help kids with poverty so they can have materials to go to school with and so they can hear the gospel. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I think that's probably a good thing. I think it's probably a good thing at Rocky Mount Baptist Church. We've got some great men here who are leading a ministry to the jail so that guys in there realize that when they get out, they don't have to go to the people that they knew before, but they've got a family who will receive them with open open arms. Reducing the rate of recidivism and talking about cha-ching money, 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 money. Even if you're an atheist. That's money in the bank, dude, because if you reach guys who are just going to keep continually go back to prison and jail, you're saving the taxpayer money. So even if you think that we're all high on some Jesus crack, you're like, I don't I think they're crazy, but you guys are keeping them out of jail. You see, is that too much? <laughs> if we really think and we stop simply being Harmless as doves, but we begin to be wise as serpents. We say, what impact does a true, not a liberal church that doesn't preach the gospel, but what true impact does a gospel preaching, gospel believing church have, not even having to do with people being saved, but things as they work here on earth. It's a massive impact. Massive. I mean, next to the Red Cross, you've got the ones going in behind it. It's the Baptist relief workers. With fried chicken in hand and a casserole. Like, it's it's amazing. Even in here, Here's the thing, man. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Christ, we're so pumped that you're here. We are really glad that you're here. We're not just saying that. But if our message is not actually true, then you should still cheer us on for what we do for the community. And what we're going to do here in a couple of weeks with Vacation Bible School, we're going to invite everybody we can invite short of bringing them at gunpoint and kidnapping. Those are the only two things that we can't do. Maybe knife point. Sort of the Lord. Just kidding. All right. But we're going to bring as many people and as many families as we can here so that they can get saved, so that their children can have a place where they can learn the Word of God. And if the parents are having issues, we believe in strong families at Rocky Mount Baptist Church. And praise God for the ministry of Christians and Christian leaders across this country that are keeping our divorce courts from being more clogged than they already are. But again, sin has an effect on the mind to the point that the other side says we want to take away the tax exempt status of churches which is an essentially this is a long interesting discussion it's in an effect it's in an attempt to shut them down we're a church we don't sell stuff i mean we may have fred tudor hats that we could sell one day i don't know but <laughs> there's a huge difference for those of you that are in the finance industry between a church that operates and a business that operates. So here's the question. Why has there been such a concentrated effort to shut down opposing voices to the same sex agenda? Here's the reason. Going back to the 60s, we as Christians have to understand that the sexual revolution, that, that encompasses everything from the free love movement all the way to the homosexual agenda, preaches a different gospel and a different savior. We believe that the gospel is that Jesus saves us from our sins. Jesus doesn't save us so that we can have a perfect life and never get sick and drive a Lexus. Jesus saves us from our sin. That's the gospel. But the sexual revolution says, 
fulfillment and salvation is found in fulfilling unfillable sexual desires. And when you go down that road, those desires cannot be fulfilled and they leave you and they leave us with emptiness. Sexual revolution says that happiness is found by satisfying our desires. But Jesus says in Luke 9, 24, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You see, Jesus says the way that we really get a life is we lose the one that we have by giving it in service to God and other people. You see, Jesus confronts the lie of the sexual revolution. And so therefore, the opponents of the gospel, listen to me, they hate the gospel because it exposes their sin. Here's what Jesus says in John 3, 19 through 21. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds or their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Those of you who have been around children, you know when you can't find them and things are really quiet, that's when it's time to worry. Whether we're a child, whether we're heterosexual, homosexual, we run from what exposes us because we love the darkness rather than the light if Christ has not yet changed our heart. And it'd be helpful for us to understand, and this is controversial, but we'll just let the cat out of the bag, that it doesn't end with same-sex marriage. Kathy Young, writing for Time magazine, arguing that polygamy is not next, admits, and I quote, Supporters of same-sex marriage have generally dismissed such arguments or mocked them as scaremongering. But there has been. A steady trickle of articles from the left asking what's so wrong with legalized multi-partner marriages. Some even argue, as writer and academic Frederick DeBoer does in a recent Politico essay, that polygamy should be the, quote, next horizon of social liberalism. Glenn Sunshine writes for stream.org and he says, and I quote, we can expect and already are seeing a call to recognize polyamory, which is simply a number of sexual partners, depending on your preference, as a legitimate form of marriage. After all, it is simply another form of sexual expression. And if a group of people want to have sexual relations with each other, society should not impose its arbitrary constraints on sexual behavior by insisting that only two can be married to each other at one time. He reports... That beyond these, it is possible that other sexual activities will be normalized as well. Wesleyan University, for those of you that are familiar with that school, already has an on-campus housing for a wide range of sexual preferences, including sadomasochism. Gallup poll has reported, this is mind-blowing, that acceptance of, of polygamy has doubled in the past 15 years. Not to be outdone, Yale University recently hosted a workshop in which they taught sensitivity to bestiality. They were, the students were asked to consider topics. This is at Yale, Ivy League. To consider topics such as bestiality, incest, and accepting money for sex, prostitution. 
The event director, Juliana Berry, said, What the goal is, is to increase compassion for people who may engage in activities that are not what you would personally consider normal. They referred to that as sexual diversity. You see, when Pandora's box has been thrown open and the United States government institutionalizes sin, sin never just stays there. It always grows. So here's what's going to happen. The implications for us is that we will be attacked. And if you don't realize that, then I'd encourage you, man, pull that head out of the sand and begin to pay attention. Bible-believing churches and schools will be attacked. Already this past week, David French writes for the National Review that a major church insurance provider that covers over 8,400 churches in the U.S., may not provide coverage for that church if the church refuses same-sex weddings. It's an article in The Federalist this past week that said that tolerance and freedom have been reversed. And here's how you can see, if you don't believe me, if the social rage against Christians who say that the Bible is the Word of God and I'm going to stand on that, if you want to test the waters... I encourage you, if you don't have anything to do, you may want to hook on your safety belt. Facebook or Twitter, try suggesting that Bruce Jenner is not a hero for having his sex changed from a man to a woman. See what happens. Or you can put something like, it is my pleasure to agree with Chick-fil-A's stance on marriage. See what happens. You will see that very quickly there's already been a ground swell of intolerance passing as tolerance, and that's simply an indication of what's coming against us legally. You do that, you question it on social media, and people will go nuclear. Just this past week, the state of Oregon, for the Christian bakers who refused to bake a cake for a same-sex wedding... This couple was fined $135,000 to be paid to the lesbian couple for emotional suffering. The state also slapped a gag order on these bakers, and this is amazing. This is banning them, the state of Oregon and the U.S. of A, banning them from speaking publicly about their refusal to participate in these same-sex weddings or unions. And this should cause, if you are from the U.S., this should cause the hair to stand up on the back of your neck. The government official said, the goal is never to shut down a business. The goal is to rehabilitate. Rehabilitate whom? You and me. For those of you that study history, you know that in the Soviet Union, Nikita Khrushchev noted in 1959 that it should be impossible for people to live in a communist country if they didn't believe in communism. And of those who might start calling for opposition to communism on this basis, we can say, he said, that their mental state is not normal. And the Soviet Union categorized disagreement with state policy as a mental disorder. And families, children were taken away from families, and men and women were put in camps in Siberia, and they were re-educated, or to use 
the Oregonian phrase, they were rehabilitated. There, this is not a scare tactic. This is just simply what's on the news. You see, Americans are not unwise enough to take the Russian tactic to say we're going to send in the KGB at night and knock down guns, knock down doors because we have guns. Because it would look bad on the news. Like nobody wants to see that. That's bad publicity. But the way you do it in the American culture is you say, we just want to rehabilitate you intolerant evangelical Christians. And the way that we re-educate you is we fine you to the point that you have to capitulate. And here's what Jesus says, in case any of you are discouraged at this point in the sermon. You're like, my blood pressure is off the charts, Jeff. I don't know where you got that quote about how it helps. John 15, this is Jesus, 18 through 19. This is what Jesus says. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were not of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus says, John 16, 33, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. First, excuse me, text 2 Timothy 3, 12 and 13. Indeed. All who live, seek to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So here's what's going to happen in America. Christians who stand on the Bible will be attacked, but make no mistake that we will stand. No mistake. We will be attacked. But we will stand. Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 says, And they have conquered him, speaking of Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives even to death. You see, we as Christians should be good citizens, but Caesar has a limit. The government has a limit. Personal liberties, free speech, freedom of religion, freedom of self-defense, the freedom of people to worship and gather as they freely choose. In the words of M.C. Hammer, we should say, you can't touch this. Because it's not, it's not part of what the government has right, rightful jurisdiction over. So how do we stand? Jeff, how, how do we stand? How do we prepare our families for this brave new world? Number one, we need to remember that God has established us in this time. He has raised us up in this time to be what we could say a missional prophet rather than a misguided patriot. And here's what, here's what we're going to unpack here. Let's not, for those of us who love our country, allow not patriotism, but a misguided sense of patriotism to destroy our chance to speak the truth in love. You see, Jonah, that's his story. He became too embroiled. He lost sight of the fact that our home is not here. And really, we could go beyond this and say that if we're following Jesus Christ, we're going to make the best Americans you could possibly imagine. You see, if we're following the words of Scripture... We know that Jesus teaches us men to love our wives as Christ has loved the church. And ladies, Christ has said for you to respect your husband and to give him that honor. And for children to obey our parents. And for parents to tenderly discipline the children, not in wrath, but in love. As followers of Jesus Christ, we preach against corruption. And when we see ways that we could screw our employer over and nobody can find out, we don't not do it. Because we may get caught, we refrain from engaging in illegal activity because it would cause a disdain and would cause shame on the name of Jesus Christ. 
And you see a culture that's committing suicide whenever it goes after its only preservative. And that's Christians. Think about the incredible stories. On Wednesday night, we're going to have a colonel from India here telling about the Gideon's ministry and how the word of God is going over that area of the world. And man, when you study Christian martyrs, you see that those guys, those ladies were the best of the best of the best. But whenever a culture turns its, turns its back on God's word, you kill, you kill what you should support. Very smart friend of mine made this statement. America was founded on the Bible, but the Bible was not founded on America. You are the greatest patriot that you can be when you love Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because that's where true freedom comes from. Does that make sense? I'm not saying that we should not be good Americans. I'm not saying burn the flag. God help us. But what we're saying is that we remember God has put us here to be a representative and a witness for Jesus Christ in the American context. So here's how we're supposed to to unpack that and engage in dialogue. When we talk with people who are from the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender lifestyle, we need to remember that there is a stereotype that is waiting for us as Christ followers. The way that we do that is we speak the truth in love. First uh, Peter chapter 3 verse 15 says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. And if you are called unloving, here's one option that you can use. You can say, you know, you can say that I'm misunderstanding the Bible or I'm misunderstanding what's going on. But you can't say that I'm unloving. Because if I truly believe the words of the Bible... And I truly believe what the Bible has to say about homosexual sin and heterosexual sin. All that you can say is that I'm confused. The only way, please catch this, the only way you say this in brokenness to your friend, family member, that you can say that I'm unloving is that if I say I believe the words of this book, but I remain silent. You catch it? In humility and gentleness and in grace say the only way that I could be cruel to you is if I simply didn't speak. And like Diamond's testimony where people who apparently said that they knew Jesus were like, yeah, yeah, if you, if you want, if you want the sex changes, just go, go for it and no problem. We welcome people who are struggling with sin because that's who Jesus is and that's who he's created us to be. The way we respond is with gentleness and meekness and we tell people I disagree with what you're doing. Your actions are wrong, but I still love you. You catch it? We can say what you're doing is wrong, but I still love you. And can we be honest here in Rocky Mount Baptist Church? Do we always agree with what we do? I don't always agree with what Jeff does. So throw that out there. Say, look, man, I don't always agree with what I do, but what I'm just saying is that the actions are wrong, but I still love you and I still want you to come to Jesus Christ. And so how do you prepare your family? Very quickly, preparing your children and students uh, for a world in which most everything is tolerated except for Christianity. Start with Genesis. Tell them the creation story. Tell them that God created Adam and Eve as as separate Individuals who were created for one another use that to talk about biblical sexuality and gender roles. Secondly, talk about Bible heroes, people who stood for God even though nobody did in the past. Talk about David. I mean, 
ladies and, and gentlemen, you got your kids, grandkids there, get on top of the sofa and grab something and swing it around. I mean, make it an interactive story to where we tell kids the Bible stories. And I think that God is so good that he's actually given us stories that appeal to, to children and to adults. So just, just walk through the scripture and just talk about those stories. What would you have done if you would have seen Goliath? I would shoot him with my bow, right? Like just, just begin to put those thoughts in your children's minds so that they're not simply just thinking about SpongeBob all the time. And they can think about heroes that actually stood for God in a time where no one else did. Also read the book of Proverbs to them. If you want, Children that are wise and children that hear children obey your parents type of verses, then read the book of Proverbs. Proverbs talks about sexual sin. It says that the man who goes into uh, a prostitute, it's like a deer who's had its liver pierced by an arrow. Tell them those things before they get old enough to make those mistakes. For when the opportunity is presented, they'll already have some defenses there. And then as you work your way through the Old Testament, just talk to them about Jesus. Talk to them about sin. And I know you all here at Rocky Mountain Baptist Church. So you probably don't have to ever do that with your kids. But when they sin, if in fact they do sin, you can use talking about what they're crying over to say that's the reason why Jesus came to save us. That's the reason why Jesus came to die. Then maybe as they get a little bit older, pick you up a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs. This is there in your notes. Um, and talk about Voice of the Martyrs, vom.com. From an early age, I believe that Christian parents should talk to their kids about Christians who have died for the cause of Jesus Christ. For your girls, it gives them men to look up to, men to respect. It gives them a blueprint for what they should look for in a husband, which is Jesus and a job. <laughs> Character comes from that. Okay? And for the young men, I mean, if, if, it, if it's the fact that they're to go into the military, you study biblical history with them and you study Christian history with the martyrs, you're going to have the most hardcore, I mean, soldier you could imagine because they've got that strength of character. They know what courage is. They know that courage is not watching the Terminator. They have a grounding point for their faith and they will respect you and love you. Like, wow, mom and dad... My dad told me the story of this guy back in history and they put him in the middle of, of the arena and these lines and they're telling this to their, to their friends at school. You will become a hero in your own child's eyes. And to let them know as well, this is your, in, your, in your notes as well, that Christians who have not suffered persecution from the gospel are almost exclusively found in North America in the last 200 years. Most of Christian history, it's extremely normal to be persecuted for Jesus. And finally, parents... Um, as God gives you the grace, model biblical marriage. I've been married just a little over seven months, and my wife is incredibly gracious. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, it's one of those things where you read the Bible, you preach the Bible, and you're just like, love your wife as Christ, love the church. Lord, help me to do this, and I'm learning as we go. But listen, all of us who are married, and if you're not married, there are other single people here. I mean, guys, you can say I'm reading through I'm reading through the Old Testament. I came across the book of Numbers and realized I didn't have yours. Like, how are you? How are you doing? You know, and work your game for the glory of God after a Baptist church service. You know, somebody's writing that down. But seriously, we joke about that stuff, and, and Jen and I, we don't have the spiritual gift that some pastors and their wives do of, of trying to set people up. But those of you who are single, begin to pray for the spouse that, that God would bring into your life. And parents and grandparents, pray like crazy that the Lord would bring the right person, the right kind of person across your child's uh, life. And here's, here's how we going back to um, 
modeling biblical marriage. Here's how, guys, we have to take the lead. We take the lead first and foremost, taking the lead in admitting our mistakes and asking forgiveness. There is nothing that will make a bigger impact on your children than seeing dad when he knows he's wrong, asking forgiveness of mom and of the kids. Is it awkward? Yep. Is it impactful? Absolutely. And the fact that some of you parents, you're taking it upon yourself, praise God, to take a time to pray with your child. Not just the dinner prayers, but praying for them. I heard one preacher say that dads especially who pray for their children, those children will get more out of that than 20 years of my preaching. Because you're their mama and you're their daddy. It's a wicked world. It's a wicked age. But when you pray... And you read the Bible together as a family. You are raising up warriors for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So don't be afraid, parents. Some of you say, well, we're married. We'd love to have kids. Is this even right to bring a child into a world this dark? Listen, the darker it gets, the more need there is for light. Amen? Don't be afraid. You've got a great faith family here. Let's not be, let's not be intimidated. Let's not react in pride. Let's just say we're probably going to be persecuted as a whole in America legally. But we will stand. And we will stand with our families. We will stand with our arms linked and preach the gospel and say whoever will may come. And if somebody like Diamond walks in on a Sunday morning, we are so excited that he is here. Amen. Because the gospel is there to save even to the uttermost.